I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and open up to Colossians. Some of you will remember back in October, we began just a mini-series in the book of Colossians. And you'll remember at that time that we begin by asking the question, how do you find fulfillment or where do you find fulfillment? Because it really is, when we look at the book of Colossians, what Paul is dealing with, as these believers were beginning to try to find their fulfillment, their totality, their completion, and other things. And so Paul, just take your eyes down to chapter 2, and just look at verse 9. This really is the theme of the book of Colossians, just to remind you, where Paul says this, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so Paul, talking about Christ, how he is the superior one, he is the one in which all things consist and are held together, he is the head of creation, the head of the church, the head of us. And then look at verse 10. So in him is all the fullness. And then in verse 10, and you are complete, or the word full, fullness, same Greek word, in him. So as a believer, where do you find your fullness? Well, our fullness ultimately comes in Christ, and we need nothing else to bring that satisfaction. For the next three weeks, we are going to finish out in the book of Colossians. And I want you to go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And look at verse 2. And we're going to read verses 2 down to verse 6. And Paul says this. Continue in prayer... Watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us. Now, why does he want them to pray? That God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let's pray. Father, thank you that our fullness is in you and in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as we look at these passages, these verses, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you draw us to your Son, Jesus, and thus, Father, transform us into his image? And we'll make sure that you receive all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. When my wife and I were 22 years old, about, it was about 22 years ago now, uh, we had the privilege of taking a survey trip to Zambia, Africa. Of course, we had spent 
uh, many years after that serving in Zambia. When we arrived very early on, the missionary began to drive us through uh, some of the bush areas and some of the different villages. And one of the things that I noticed as we were driving is around some of these big, huge trees, uh, these African trees, there was these different artifacts. Uh, Some of these artifacts were gifts. Uh, Some of them were containers which held uh, certain types of food. And I asked the missionary, I said, what is that? Why are those there? And the missionary began to tell me that the people in the villages will come and offer up these gifts, these gifts of food, these gifts of artifacts, because they believe that there are spirits that are roaming around. Some uh, from their ancestors, others are good spirits, some are bad spirits. And so they sent out these artifacts and these gifts with the hope that they will find their blessing and appease them. And as he began to explain how many of these villages, these people, were really shackled in their traditions and in their sin, and it made me realize at that moment, once again, probably unlike any other time, that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. There are spiritual forces at work, uh, deceiving people, blinding people to their sins, keeping them away from the gospel. And as I was thinking through that, the realization and the question that really came was God I know you've called me to engage, but how do I engage? Well, really, folks, this is how Paul ends his letter. Paul ends his letter by telling believers to engage in the battle, and the battleground really is on two different fronts. The first front of the battleground is prayer, verses 2 through 4 of chapter 4. And the second front is in our witness. And so in essence, here is what Paul is saying as he ends his book, is that we are to talk to God about people and then talk to people about God. And so God has called us to engage. And this morning, we're just going to start looking at the subject, and we're really not going to even be able to get far in it. We're going to start looking at the subject of engaging through prayer. But before we really can get there, I think we need to lay the foundation of prayer. In essence, in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul's going to say, devote yourself to prayer. But before we can get there, he does something else. And what I want you to do is I want you to notice where Paul actually begins 
this, really this whole context. And it actually begins back up in chapter 3. Now, chapter 3 and chapter 4, chapter 1 and chapter 2 are the doctrinal sections. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's how do we live in light of what he has just taught us. And what you find before he goes in to tell us, do this, do that, do this, he does something very unique. He's going to tell us where we ought to set our desires. And so before Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, he says, set your desires on something. And what does he want us to set our desires on? Go back up to chapter 3 and look at verse 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And just notice what Paul says here. He says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections or set your mind on things above not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you appear with Him in glory. Now, did you notice in verse 1 and verse 2, Paul says two things. Seek those things which are above, and then in verse 2, set your mind or set your affections on things above. And the idea of seeking is the idea of longing after, desiring after, and the idea of mind or affections is what you think about. And interesting, both of those words in the Greek are used in the present tense. And so the idea that Paul is getting at is that this is something that ought to preoccupy us in everything we do. So whether I'm going to work, whether I'm going to school, whether I'm going to the marketplace, uh, whether I'm here at church, do you know that you can actually be at church and not be preoccupied with these things? Don't raise your hand, okay? This is something that God says we ought to be preoccupied where we are longing for Him, we are desiring Him, and our mind is continually fixed upon Him. And so he says, be preoccupied. And what are we to be preoccupied with? He says, we are to be preoccupied with things above. That's things in heaven, which means that we are preoccupied ultimately with the one who reigns. We're preoccupied with him. We value what he values. We love what he loves. We desire what he desires. We think how he thinks. And so you value Christ and the things of Christ 
above everything else. And this is what we are to be doing preoccupied with, expending energy to do these things. Now, let me ask you a question. As Paul begins his application section, why does he begin with that? Why does he begin with telling us that our values or our desires or our delight ultimately need to be in God and you need to be spending energy doing this? Why does he do that? Why not, Paul, just jump right in and say, okay, mortify the flesh, kill the flesh, do this, do that, do this, do that. But that's not where Paul begins. And the reason he does that is because ultimately what you value most in life, what you delight in most in life, is what you live for. You ever been around people, get to know them, and before long you begin to find out what they value. Uh, living in South Africa, uh, some of my good friends, in fact one of my good pastor friends, was a huge surfer. You ever been around surfers? Everything they do is about surfing. And when you get with them and you go over there and you say, hey, what did you do this morning? Well, early this morning, right at 6, when the tide was going out, we were out there beyond the rift and we were surfing. And they're going to tell you where the best places to surf are. They're going to tell you how big the waves were. And they're going to tell you, in fact, I remember one of them saying, yeah, and their sharks are down there, and we're sitting there with our board, hitting those sharks away, and they're going, we can't wait till we do it again. I'm going, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> their life is centered, and when you're with them for very long, everything about them. You remember when you first met your spouse, and you knew that that was going to be the one? Remember when I met Janelle and at college and I looked at her and I said, she's the one in my life. And as we got to know her, guess what I talked about all the time? I mean, I feel sorry for the people who were around me during that time. When I would go to college, I got nothing done that first year of college. I was sitting there in my little book writing hearts saying, I love Janelle. It was a waste of $6,000. <laughs> but what you love, what you value, what you desire, ultimately is what comes out of your life. It's what you live for. So now understand, before Paul says, hey, do this, do that, do this, he really deals and says, hey guys, listen, if you're going to be able to obey these, if you're going to be able to do these things, here's what you first have to do. Get your value system, get your delights and your desires 
in the right place. Because once you love Him and are valuing Him, everything else falls in place. Now here's a question. How do we do this in our life? How do we grow in our desires for God and in the values He has? Let me just give you three things. First of all, and this is really inherent in the text as Paul is moving, first of all, remember what He's done for you. Remember your salvation. And that little word, remember, is key throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where you're remembering who you once were and you're remembering what God has done for you. In fact, the Puritans used to admonish their congregations that they need to preach the gospel to themselves regularly and remember what God has done. You ever think about what God has done in your life and where you would be if God hasn't intervened? I think sometimes what happens is we hear these things so much and we kind of got a checklist. Yeah, got that, got that, got that. Okay, let's move on. So just remember, what has Christ done? And every one of us has a testimony. I go back to my testimony. Here's Lee Peterson. Grow up in a single home. Mom working sometimes two or three jobs. Uh, growing up, I was always, always in trouble. By the time I was in third grade, kicked out of school. By the time I got into fifth grade, drinking, smoking, many of my friends doing drugs. By the time I got into sixth grade, we were breaking into homes, stealing things. Put that on a resume someday. Hey, Lee, what are you good at? <laughs> time I got into seventh grade, got into occultism. Satanism. It was out of that experience that I realized that if the demonic side of things are real, then God is real. And during that time, I, 13 years old, going to different churches looking for the truth. And finally, a friend invited me to one of their big youth rallies there at a, a Calvary Baptist. And there was about five different churches from the state that came, played games, had a great time. And I remember sitting in back, and the pastor got up there, young 13-year-old boy. pastor got up there, and he talked about how Jesus Christ came. And he died for your sins. You cannot save yourself. But he did it for you. And all you have to do is believe it. And I remember as he was preaching that message, in my heart back there was this, yes, that's it. That's what I've been looking for. That week, by God's grace, he saved me. He began to change me. Every single one of my friends that I went to prison or that I went to school today are in prison or in jail. Every single one of them. Or have been in jail or in prison. And I was their leader for the most part. 
And what did God do? God reached down to this sinful boy who was destroying his life with wine, women, and song, and he showed me Christ. I got saved. God then began to work in my heart. He then began to call me into ministry when I was 16, went to Northland when I was 18, and there I met that special person the very first day of college. And I said, I'm going to marry her. Her dad said, no, you're not. (laughs) We were 20, got married, and what has God done? And you go back and you say, Lee, your life would have been destroyed except for the grace of God. You remember what Christ has done for you? You ever just sit back and just praise Him for saving you? Don't ever let your heart grow cold to that. Always keep it burning by the fire as you remember what Christ has done. So first of all, remember your salvation, what God has done. Secondly, reflect on who you are in Christ. Let me just show you this from the passage. Look at chapter 3 there. And just notice what Paul says about us. He says, if you then be, and here it is, risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of earth. Look at verse 3. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So Paul says you've been raised with Christ. You've died with Christ. Your life is hid in Christ. And you will be glorified in Christ. In essence, Paul is saying all of the riches of Christ are yours. You have died to sin and the powers that once held you. You have been raised to newness of life and empowered to live for Christ. Your life is hid with Him, and thus you are secure from the spiritual forces that desire to destroy you, and ultimately you will be glorified in Him. I think as many of us get older I think many of us appreciate more that time when Christ comes back and our final glorification happens we've done two funerals in the last week those who are sick but you think about where are they at now they're with their savior I ask young people wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back today They go, yeah. You know, they know they're supposed to say yes. But they're going, boy, I would love to get married. Love to have children. Love to drive. Love to have a job. I'd love to experience life a little bit. 
talk to someone who's grieving or going through suffering. And you say, wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back? They go, yeah. Can't wait. Well, because of who you are in Christ, you have all of the riches in him. So remember your salvation, reflect on who you are in Christ, and then lastly, read your Bibles. If you're going to grow in your desire for the things of God, my personal experience, I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in three different countries where I have worked. When you get serious about reading your Bible, studying your Bible, and meditating on your Bible, when you get serious about that, guess what happens in your heart? You begin to desire the things of God. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? So that you may grow. David said in Psalm 1, his delight, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night, and he will be like a tree. Want to grow? Planted by the rivers of water. David says in Psalm 19:7, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. So why did God give us his word? Did he give us his word just for a bunch of do's and don'ts? That's how some people view the Bible, isn't it? No, God gave us his word so ultimately we can know him. We can know his son and the way of salvation. And as we get to know him, our lives are changed. That's why the hymn writer, and sometimes we sing this right before a service. We did this a lot in our church. The hymn writer writes, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You want your values? You want your desires to become his? Look in his face, open the word, and seek him. When we were in Zambia, many of you know some of the health issues that we'd gone through. And it was in 2007 when I was coming back just by myself to get some counsel here from about five different pastors about uh, what our next uh, course was in life. I was told if I got malaria again, it could take my life, and we didn't know what God had for us. And and so I was coming back very sick, about 155 pounds, coming back to get counsel. And on our way there, a missionary asked if I wouldn't mind staying at their place in Johannesburg for about a week just to kind of see the work there. And so I said, yeah. And so I went there, and I was staying in his guest house. And there on his guest house, he had a book by the name of John Patton. You ever heard of John Patton? If you never have, let me encourage you, get some of his books. John Patton was born on May 24, 1824 in Scotland. 
And at the age of 32, John Patton accepted the call to missionary services in the South Pacific. In March of 1858, he married his sweetheart, Mary Ann Robinson. And on April 16th of that same year, 1858, they sailed together for the island of Tana, which was a cannibalic island. In less than a year, they had built a little house. Mary had given birth to a son. But one year after their marriage, Mary died of fever. And in three weeks, the infant son died also. John, you can imagine, John Patton was hurting, was lonely. He was at the point where he wanted to almost quit. And in his biography, he says, What sustained him through this hardship were the words that his wife wrote in her diary shortly before her death. And here's what she wrote. I do not regret leaving home and friends. If I had to do it over, I would do it with more pleasure. Yes, with all my heart. And as I read those words, and the conviction fell upon my heart, I said, God, give me a desire like that. Because when you value Him above everything else, then no matter what God asks you to do, you're willing. Maybe you're here this morning. You're saying, Lee, that, that sounds really good. But you have never put your faith in Christ. Our prayers for you is that you would turn your eyes upon him and trust him for your salvation. And then for the rest of us, let us move on to love him more, to desire him more, I think this really is the foundation when we begin to talk about prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, as always, in an audience this size, there's no question that there's one here that doesn't trust you yet. Would you, by your grace, work in their heart, open their eyes. Father, show them yourself. Thank you, Father, for what Paul says. Help us to seek you. Help us to set our affections on you and our mind on you. To value you more than anything else. We love you, praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.